leaves a lot of anticipation and wondering what it could possibly be. Well, this is our a new series here for the next six weeks or so called The Promised Land. My name is Cameron. Uh, I'm one of the pastors here. Pastor Corey and his family are on vacation this week. And so please be praying for he and uh, Brianne and their kids uh, to find a little bit of rest and rejuvenation this week. Um, well, we're starting this series in uh, the Promised Land, and the pro- Promised Land—you know—it's a—it's both a biblical like term and place, but it's also a—it's a—it's also a term that is kind of used generally in culture to define some things. You know, like I just going to go to the Promised Land. I want to go to that. It's a physical place that we're going to go to, or maybe even like a a state mind healing a place, um, and so. Our purposes here in the next few weeks, I want to kind of define what we're talking about when we talk about is a promised land. Now, obviously, we're going to talk um, about the uh, place of the promised land as, it, as we find it in, uh, in the Old Testament. But for kind of our purposes in making that place and that principle, applicable to my life or life, uh, we need to maybe understand it in a, uh, a broader, more general sense. A promised land, promised land is where God establishes, fortifies, and builds his eternal purpose for your life. That is what a promised land is. It's where, where God establishes fortifies and builds his eternal purpose for life. It's, in a matter of speaking, uh, you could describe it as your, uh, kind of your, your spiritual sweet spot. Where you've gotten to a place in, uh, you've gotten to a place in your walk with the Lord. Uh, you've gotten to a place maybe with um, habitual sin, You've gotten to a place of uh, your understanding of salvation that is offered to you in Jesus Christ, and you just kind of hit this that that Jesus. Am I here? Am I on? Am I in and out? Can you hear me? Loud and clear. All right. It'll give me a little grace. I've been camping all week in a one-room cabin with five kids. And um, and my kids had a great time on vacation. Um, I need a vacation. But if you can can imagine, at least feeling, you know, we, um, as... Uh, as Christians, you know, we always try to remain uh, very humble, right? Very, very meek, very mild, especially about our walk with Jesus, you know. I am continuing to pursue faith in Jesus. I want to be made more and more like him every day. Um, I want the Holy Spirit to work in my life. I want to love people more. I want to be more gentle. But I also understand that, like, that they're, that I'm, I'm not there, or that the Lord is working on me every 
single day. But there does come this point, this sweet spot point. The Lord, the Lord is working in me. The Lord is working through me. I can see how experiences, how relationships, how maybe job changes or, or moves or, or maybe a, a very specific situation in my life has brought me to a place where I like now am and developed me in the way that it has. And it's kind of like that moment where you see all of the pieces that you thought were just random out there, floating out there on their own, where they all come together and then make a whole picture. Like when, when, you, when you take a puzzle, right, and you see the picture of the puzzle, or you see the picture on the outside of the box, but you open the box, it's just a mass of little pieces that don't make any sense all by themselves. You dump them out on the table and then over time you begin to fit the pieces in the right places where they belong and how they're, how they're supposed to be arranged and then eventually you hit this sweet spot where the picture begins to develop and then it comes together and it's perfect and you are there. That's what we talk about how we're going to talk about the promised land. Where God uses you, where God blesses you, where God has fortified, established, and builds his eternal purpose for your life. Now, here's the, the, the kind of the caveat or the, the, the nuance that we have to make. You know, we, we talk, we use phrases similar to this, or we talk about how uh, all, all of the time, and for good reason, that, that God, you know, God is just going to use me for who I am, right? He's just going to, he's going to, you know, God's not, he's not, um, he's not held back. It, the way that I am, it doesn't stop God at all from just using me like I am, you know, warts and all sin and all bad habits and all like I just kind of throw my hands I am what I am Lord and and Lord thank you for using me just just for who I am and, and there's a large that you know there's a, a part of that that's absolutely true right that that God does not wait until we reach some nebulous state of to to use us to to bless others to use us to build kingdom to through us to give us his holy spirit he he uses us just as we are but what often happens is that we believe so strongly in the ability and of god to use us just as we are that we get really comfortable just as we are and we we no longer we no longer pursue life-giving, holy relationship with Jesus. Uh, you know, I just am what I am, and God has made me who I am, and I'm glad that God has received me and is using me like I am, and whew, kind of takes a lot of the spiritual pressure off, right? It kind of makes us feel like, well, I, no more steps forward for me. I can kind of sit back in my easy chair and just allow God to use me for That is unequivocally not the picture 
um, of Scripture. That is not the picture that we see um, God uh, calling his people to. Just uh, of a, God is just going to use where they are and who they are and with what they, what they have and what they are doing. We talk a lot about how God will just use us for who we are, but what we don't often talk a lot about is God's desire, listen, God's desire for you to be free from this false, this false sense of I'm completely free and delivered to just be whoever I want to be, whoever, who I am right here in this moment. Now, in talking about the promised land, we're, we're going to talk about the people of Israel. Uh, the people that God called as his own, uh, starting with Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, all the way up until uh, Jesus in the New Testament. So, let's, uh, if you have a Bible with you, I want you to open it up to Exodus chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible, uh, there are some in your seats for you. There's also a, a link to a Bible. app that you have, and we'll have it up for you on the screen as well. Now, if you're not familiar with the story of the Israelite people, that's okay. I'm going to give you like a, just a little bit of a, a reader's digest. not familiar with the story of the Exodus, the story of the people of Israel, all right? The, the, the Israelite people have um, grown in number and have long been enslaved in a country that is not their own, in Egypt, by uh, the Egyptian people, all right? And, and because they were becoming so numerous and because uh, Pharaoh, the leader of Egypt, was becoming so worried about the growth and strength of the Israelite people, he decided, okay, we need to do something to make sure that these people never rise up and overthrow us. So what we're going to do is we're, we're going to subjugate them in slavery. We're going to make them, we're, we're going to put Egyptian people over them as their slave masters, and we'll make, we'll just work the Israelites to death. And what the scripture says is that the harder the Egyptians worked the Israelites, the greater in number the Israelites became. So long, long previous to the Egyptian slavery, the Israelites, through their father Abraham, had been promised by God in Genesis chapter 12 that he would give them a land of their own. A land where they could become a nation, a land where they could build a family, a, a jumping off point, a home base where the Israelite people, the people of God, could be a blessing to the rest of the world. 
The Israelite people were God's plan A to show the world his tremendous glory. And somewhere along the path, somewhere along the journey, after the life of Joseph, they were subjugated to slavery in Egypt. And here we find them in Exodus chapter 1. It says in verse 8, Then a, a new king, who did not know about Joseph, came to power in Egypt. Look, he said to his people, the Israelites have become too numerous for us. Come, we must deal shrewdly with them, or they will become even more numerous. And if war breaks out, we'll join our enemies, fight against us, and leave the country. So they put slave masters over them. They oppressed them with forced labor. And they built Pithom and Ramesses as store cities for Pharaoh. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. So the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites and work them ruthlessly. They made their lives bitter with hard labor in brick and mortar and with all kinds of work in the fields. In all their hard labor, the Egyptians used them ruthlessly. Now, here's, here's kind of like the, the, uh, the rhetorical question about the way, about the lot in life that the Israelites had here as they were living in Egypt. What if the Israelites were just like to say, well, you know, God's just using us where we are. We're just, uh, you know, this is just who God has made us as, as slaves under these ruthless people, the, the Egyptians, and uh, we're just, you know, we're just happy to be here. I'm just, I'm just happy that I can be a, a slave. I'm, I'm happy that I can make these bricks. I'm happy that we can build um, these great store cities for the Egyptian people. What if the Israelites had just said, you know, I'm just happy that God is using me for who I am with all that we do, and even in the midst of slavery, you know, God is using me. Might have been, it might have been noble, right? It certainly would have been noble to find, to find purpose in the midst of what for them was suffering. To find some sense of, okay, yeah, God can use me in this situation. But not resigning and resolving myself to say that this must be the best of what God has for me. This... This must be the promised land. This must be my, my sweet spot where I am just continually under the burden and heavy load of slavery and oppression and hard, horrible work. And some of us live our entire lives exactly like that. That, well, yeah, this is just my, my lot in life. That this, this must just be my, my sweet spot. God really doesn't want anything better for me because if he did want something better for me then he would just be like oh here you go here let me just let me just give let me just give it to you but what if the ultimate question is is is, is what if you didn't have to be just the way you are what, what, if God, what if God wanted better for you? What if, what if God wanted to take you 
to a better place? What, what if God wanted to introduce to you how all of the puzzle pieces of your life come together to create your sweet spot? What if he wanted to take you on this journey to the promised land? You see, sometimes I find that it, it becomes really difficult. It becomes hard for us to really to even comprehend or consider what a place like that would look like because we've been so long immersed in where we are that it that it that it even become, it becomes part of our identity it becomes it becomes generational even slavery to a to a just as i am this is just who i am type of attitude really does become generational. Think of the Israelites here in slavery um, in the Egyptian country. Was this the first generation of people, of Israelites, who had sat under Egyptian slavery and ruthlessness? Absolutely not. Right? Uh, we see in, uh, in Exodus chapter 12, if we move ahead in the story a little bit. In Exodus chapter 12, verse 40. Now the length of time the Israelite people lived in Egypt was 430 years. 430 years. Did you know that um, slavery, that bondage, uh, is generational? Meaning that that it, it, this wasn't the first this wasn't the first generation of people who had been enslaved um, of Israelite people who had been enslaved in Egypt. That there were, there were 430 years of Israelite people who thought that their best life now was making bricks for the Egyptians. That the, that the best that God had for them, that the, that the greatest thing that they could accomplish was to live in slavery to someone else. That that's just the very best that God had for them. And all of this time, uh, God had a different plan. God had a different desire. What if God wanted better for you than even what you're experiencing now, what your parents experienced, what your grandparents experienced? What if, what if God's greatest plan for you was instead of passing down generational slavery, bondage, addiction, depression, anger, anxiety, broken relationships, pain. What if God's greatest desire was to create in you the beginning of a generation of blessing rather than a generation of slavery. 
That's what God desires of you. That's not just what God desires of you. That's what God desires for you. And you can, you can begin even now through the, through the power of the Holy Spirit, through faith in Jesus Christ, to, to cut off the curse of generational slavery to your just-as-I-am type of attitude and begin to pass down generation of blessing and promise and spiritual sweet spot to your kids, to your grandkids, to your great-grandkids. Listen, the path, the path to get from the spot that you are to the sweet spot of God's promised land for you, that's always like the, that's always like the major question. All right, well, I, okay, I see where I am. I understand where I am. I, may, I might not even really understand what's keeping me here, but I certainly see what could be on the other side of where I am. The question just is, how do I get from point A from point B? How do I get from slavery in Egypt to promised land that God says he wants to give me? The promised land that God says can be mine. That's really going to be the question that we seek to answer in this, uh, in this series. But I have kind of a, um, a brief and short answer for you. Now, listen... The name that the Israelites knew God as pretty specifically translates to the great deliverer. So when they were talking of God or talking about God, they would use the name Yahweh. And the, the most literal or clear translation of the name Yahweh was the deliverer, or if emphasis was added, the great deliverer. What I find is that when we are, uh, when we're considering what it would take to get us from point A of slavery to point Z of promised land, what we want God's name to be is not the great deliverer. We want God's name to be the great preventer. Right? Prevent this. And prevent this. And then prevent this. And then prevent this. Make the way as flat, as smooth, as stable and straight as it can possibly be, Lord. And I will have no problem walking that path from the point that I'm at now, sitting under generational slavery to sin into the promised land that you have promised me. Lord, I am tough and I'm strong. Just don't make it too difficult. We want, we want God to just make it, right? Like, make it all easy. But how many people, um, how many people have been living on this long enough, walking with Jesus long enough, to know that the name of the game on the journey from where you are to where God wants you to be is not straight, smooth, or flat? It ain't that way, right? It just ain't that way. It's never been that way. It's never been promised to be that way, right? It never will be promised 
to be that way. The path from where you are to where God wants to take you is not always flat, straight, and fast. It often looks like this, right? This is what we want it to look like. Gradual but slight incline to the goal, Lord. I'm okay with that, right? But reality often shows that it's fraught with ups and downs, right? Lakes that we must cross, valleys that we go through, and mountains that we must climb. It's never, ever straight. It wasn't even straight for the Israelites, right? Because as God was giving them freedom from slavery in Egypt, as he said, okay, he raised up Moses and Aaron. Aaron, go tell Pharaoh that we're taking our people and we're leaving. Build your own bricks. And finally, when Pharaoh led them, they began to walk out of Egypt. And you would think that God would march them like first class, red eye, nonstop flights, straight to the promised land, guys. Go right, do, do not pass, go. Just, just get, get right there. Finally, your time has arrived. The scripture tells us that not even at that point was the, was the path straight. You look at Exodus 13. We'll see exactly that in verse 17. Exodus 13, 17, when Pharaoh let the people go, right? God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country, listen, though that was shorter. For God said, if they face war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. So God led the people around the desert road toward the Red Sea, and the Israelites went up out of Egypt armed for battle. <laughs> like, God was like, ah, love you guys, big promise for you ahead, but I know you're pretty fickle, right? I, like, I see, I can see into it, right? And even though the way this way would be shorter, and even though that is the most direct route, let me have a little mercy on you. Let me have a little grace upon you, because I can see what you not see. And I know the condition of your heart so well that what you face ahead, the shortest distance, you want, you want the quickest answer, you want the shortest distance between where you are and the promised land, but what you don't understand, what, you what I know that you don't know, God says, is that what you want will actually destroy you if you get it when you want it. And what you really need is to go a different route. Because there are some things you must learn about the process of deliverance that is more important than the deliverance itself. And that is almost always the case when God is taking us from the people that we are now to the people that he desires us to be. The process, listen... The process of deliverance, the process out of slavery, the process out of bondage, 
The process of deliverance puts us in touch with the one who is named the deliverer. You see, the goal of deliverance is not that you would just escape one thing to get to a better thing. The goal in deliverance is that you would walk arm and arm realizing the strength of the one who delivers you. Because deliverance is less about the fruit on the tree that you pick and more about how God binds your heart to his. Shows you his his eternal faithfulness, his never-ending strength, his sovereign will. You see, but what happens is that if for a moment, right? This was, it's kind of an interesting, uh, maybe an interesting parallel. So uh, my wife and I, we own this really big old farmhouse. And my son Noah, who's eight, um, he has a bedroom on the, like, he's got a bedroom on one side of the house. And all the other bedrooms are on the other side of the house. All right? And so when we go um, to take him to bed at night, since he's the oldest, he stays up a little bit later. And, uh, but the house is always dark, right? And um, he never wants to go by himself. Understandable, right? Um, so, so he always wants one, uh, either Sherry or myself, to, uh, to walk with him, right? And, and sometimes, depending on his mood, you know, sometimes he'll want, he'll want uh, me to walk for him, right, and turn on all the lights as I go, and he's just following behind. And sometimes he gets up enough courage to just walk right in front of me, right, and, and he will flick on all the lights as I go. But sometimes, right, sometimes if I'm just, like, not thinking or in a hurry, I walk through and he's behind me and I don't turn on the lights, right, I'll get all the way to his room and I'll realize he didn't follow me, right? E- even though I, I was going to the desk, I, I was going with him, right? I was not even going with him. I was, I was before him, right? But, I was, but I, was, I was not illuminating the way enough to assuage his fear that, that he decided a better choice for him personally, was to stay back in the hallway outside of our bedroom where the lights were on and mom was close. And, and the Israelites were uh, 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 pretty, pretty similar, but kind of in a, in a much more intense way, right? They had just been led out of slavery in, in probably one of the most miraculous things that had ever happened. The Egyptians let them go when all of these plagues and and the Egyptians gave them all their wealth on their way out the door. And they were traveling to this yet seen promised land. And they get to the edge of the Red Sea. And the, there's this big sea in front of them. And then they look behind them. And the Egyptians are coming, right? And they're like, ah, uh, you know what, Moses? You know what? It would be better 
if we were just, if we, we should have, we should have just stayed back where we were. We should have never came this far. Exodus chapter 14, verse 10 through 12, shows us this part of the story. It says, as Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up, and there were the Egyptians marching after them. And they were terrified and cried out to the Lord. And they said to Moses, was it because... Graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Like, how short is their memory? Right? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians? It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. Some of us would rather die under the yoke of a generational slavery we've been carrying around with us for all of our lives and then pass it on to our kids and our grandkids than trust God long enough to turn the lights on ahead of us. Because the inner monologue just goes, somebody, listen, you need to be so careful of your inner monologue, right? There, there are points on the way to the promised land of your life that abandoning the journey and heading back into slavery, heading, heading back, it's just easier for me if I just am fearful all the time. It's just easier for me if I'm just, if it's just easier for me if I just remain, um, I just remain in this pattern of, of anger. Just easier for me if I, if I just continue in like addiction, if, like, because it's just comfortable, right? And I, and I know it. And it's like, um, it, it just, it, it's what I know, it's how I live. Like, like listen, anytime. That your inner voice tries to convince you that it's better for you to live at point A rather than marching forward trusting God. It's deceit. It's nothing but lies. Because listen, it's, not, it's nothing but fear. Because if you would have plucked any Israelite out of that situation... Right there in that moment. And be like, uh, tell me something. Um, you're telling me that, that you, you enjoyed the life of slavery in Egypt. That if given the choice, that is something that you would, would go back to. You, you want to go back and experience that. That's, that's what you like about life. That's where you want to live. That's where you want to make your home. That's, what you, that's the kind of life... And attitude, that's what you want to pass on generationally to your kids. That, that's what you want, right? No one in their right mind, right? No one in their right mind wants to, wants to be addicted, angry, lustful, anxious, depressed, 
greedy. No one in their right mind wants those things, right? No one in their right mind, after leaving those behind, wants to go back to them. But what we do is along the path, when it starts to get a little hard, right? When it starts to get painful, when we're, when we're really asked and pushed to deal with some of the stuff that sits down in here that causes all those things to bubble up out of our spirit and our life. Sometimes it's easier to just... The road that way is a lot straighter and flatter and smoother than the road this way. And yeah, maybe I wouldn't have chose that back then, but it certainly is a lot more comfortable than, than going that way. See, in verse 13 and 14, Moses answers their fear, essentially. With, this, with slavery behind them, or death behind them, and the Red Sea in front of them. He says in Exodus 14, verses 13 and 14, Moses answered the people, Do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance that the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, will ne you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. I don't know why, but as I was preparing for this sermon, I was brought back to like, I don't even know when this song was written. And I certainly am not going to sing it for you. Um, but um, it was these lyrics, uh, the song is called God Will Make a Way by Don Moen. You know the song? You know, if you're shaking your head that you know this song, you're old school Christian. Right? You are old school Christian. God will make a way when there seems to be no way. He works in ways we cannot see. He will make a way for me. He will be my God, my guide. Hold me closely to his side. With love and strength for each new day. He will make a way. He will make a way. See, <clears throat> deliverance in moments of decision... Deliverance in moments of decision where we are deciding whether we will trust God and step into the waters that will be parted or whether we will turn around and go back to that which is most comfortable and familiar to us. Deliverance happens when we follow the path that God has made. When we, when we, choose, when we choose not to do it ourselves. When we, when we throw up our, the, the most un-American thing that you could possibly do, right? The most, uh, most non-middle class, westernized thing that you can do and say, I can't do it. I'm not strong enough. I'm not smart enough. I don't have enough 
willpower. I've tried it my way. I've tried it that book's way. I've tried it that preacher's way. I've tried it this person's way. I've tried it a million different ways. And every single time, the only place that it leads is back into slavery. It's only in those moments of key and critical decision making where we say, the Lord will fight for me if I only be still. It's interesting that there's, do you see do you see the, spe- the specks of grace that are weaved into that statement? That, that Moses, Moses communicates that, 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 God, that God isn't, like, God doesn't want the Israelites to wade into the water, right? He's not telling them to move forward and to, like, walk up to their eyeballs in water until... Then at the last second, he just parts the waves. The only thing that he says is he just, you don't have to take a step forward, but just don't take a step backwards. The Lord will fight for you. Just, just, just for a moment, right? Just be still. Just be still. Watch what the Lord does. Let let the Lord, one, one more time, let the Lord again show himself to be the great deliverer. Listen. Because... Deliverance, listen, deliverance, deliverance in your life will be secure when you can no longer claim credit for getting from point A to the promised land. When, when, you, when you come to the point Eat, surrender, relied only on the goodness and deliverance of God for your salvation. When you can only and fully say, the Lord has delivered me this day. That is when your deliverance is secure And your feet are on solid ground. I'm not making, listen, we don't make things up here, right? If it's not here, we're not making it up, right? This is not, this is not Pastor Cameron's advice, right? Just a few voices or a few verses ahead. Verses 17 and 18 in Exodus 14. After Moses is like, hey, just, The Lord will fight for us, just be still. God says to Moses, right? 
Raise your staff, stretch out your hand over the sea, divide the water so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. Verse 17, I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they will go in after them. <laughs> Listen, God will drown your slavery in a sea of his glory if you trust him. God will drown your slavery in a sea of his glory if you trust him. I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they will go in after them. And I will gain glory through Pharaoh and all his army, through his chariots. And the will know that I am the Lord. And when I gain glory through Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. Listen. When glory and honor and praise for your deliverance out of slavery is ascribed to God and God alone, all of that bondage, all of that slavery, all of that fear, all of that addiction, all of that pain, all of that anxiety, all of that anger, all of that depression, all of that lust, every last bit of it will be drowned in a sea of God's glory. When we can stand before him and say, the only reason I got from point A to point B is not because I worked really hard and did all the work myself and followed all the best advice. It's because I stood still even for a moment. The Lord fought for me and now I am free. We talk about how um, we talk about how the name of God in uh, in particular Yahweh is the great deliverer, not the great um, preventer, right? Well, you know, Jesus, okay, so lived in a culture that was, there was kind of like dual and competing cultures, right? There was, so there was a lot of Greek influence, there was a lot of, um, uh, there was a lot of Latin influence, right? But there was also a lot of Hebrew influence. He kind of like, kind of lived in the center of three different cultures, and so his, then even the name of Jesus is kind of a, an amalgamation or a mixture of a couple different names and meanings and was it Jesus was it Yeshua or was it Joshua or was it something else completely but but the name the name Jesus the name that we know him as right the name that Luke in Acts chapter 4 verse 12 says the name that is above every other name the name, Acts 4, verse 12, salvation, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. The name Jesus, the name Jesus means deliverer. When we 
stop before a sea of our fear. Fear of not being able to change ourselves. Fear of not, be, not wanting to go back but not seeing a way forward. Throw up our hands and say, Jesus, great deliverer. I am still, please save me. It is in that moment, and that moment alone, that the glory of God comes down, parts the water of your fear, and as you take a step, right, everything that pursues you is wiped from face of the earth. All of his chariots, all of his horses, every single thing that would remind the Israelites of their slavery, God removed. God has a promised land for you. God, God has a sweet spot of your life where he wants to establish, where he wants to fortify, where he wants to build into your eternal purpose for your life. But if you stay over here and just be like, well, I'm kind of like, comfortable in my own little camp. Like, God, he just loves me the way that I am. And he's just going to kind of use me the, you know, with, 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 with all the things that are wrong with me and, 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 and all the things that I've always struggled with. And like, God, I mean, God, that's, that's cool with God. He's still going to, he's still going to use me. He's still going to, like, his Holy Spirit's still going to work through me. Well, listen, I'm not going to argue with you on that point. But, but what, I, what I will say is, like the, like, the Egyptian, or like the Israelites who are like, man, we had a good life back there in Egypt, right? You forfeit the promise, the blessing, the establishment, everything that God wants to give you. Everything that God wants to give you is on the other side of you surrendering your life to Jesus. You can hold everything that you want and nothing that God wants for you. Or you can hold everything that God wants for you. But you can't hold both. And God desires, God desires in this moment and every moment, even if you're standing at the banks of the shore of your greatest fear in front of you and your greatest peril behind you, for you to come to a point of saying, Father, I lift up my hands and surrender and trust in the deliverance that Jesus offers me now, today, and every day forward. Maybe, 
Maybe that is the first time that you've ever heard that, that God doesn't want you to just tough it out and try harder. Right? Are you struggling? Got some things going on that you can't beat? Just try harder. Just get up 15 minutes earlier. Right? Put in a 60-hour week instead of a 40-hour week. Do a little bit more. Read three self-help books, right? Your best life now is right around the corner of you just working a little bit harder. And maybe you've never been told sometimes, or that, that, that sometimes the, the way, right, to freedom is for you to surrender all of your hard work and say, Jesus, I surrender working to earn the thing that only you can give me. And if that's the first time that you've ever heard, if that's the first time that you've ever heard that God doesn't want you to work harder to be free from slavery, but that God wants you to surrender your life to Jesus to be freed from slavery, then I want you to hear it loud and clear. I want you to hear it again. That the only way to freedom, the only way out of bondage, the only way to not be consumed by the Egyptians behind you or paralyzed by the fear in front of you is to surrender it all to Jesus, the great deliverer. And if you need to surrender it all to Jesus, if you, if you need a, 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 a place to say, I'm done trying by myself, this is the place and this is the day and this is the moment. Don't walk one more step in vain. Trust in God. Trust in Jesus. We always open our altar um, at the end of worship, and, and our desire is to always have an open altar. The uh, kneelers to come forward and pray. You don't have to kneel to come forward and pray, right? You can stand up front. You can, right? You can come and stand by me. You can sit in the front. You can, you can, you can sit where you are. You can stand where you are. There's no, there's no formula. There's no special place that you have to go or special words like formulaic saying that you must get all the words in the right order and say the right thing at the right time for Jesus to know that, oh, oh, okay, now, now. But, but like, listen, God, God knows the orientation of your heart, right? And what the word says is that if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, right, you will have eternal life. He will forgive you of your sins. And so if you want to come forward, right, if you are ready, Say, I surrender, right? I surrender to Jesus. That I would love to pray with you through that. I would love to talk with you through that. And that's why our altar is always open. Because the Lord is always ready. Because Jesus is always ready. Because the path is always the same. It's not easy He's not the great preventer, but he will always be the great deliverer for you. And he will part every sea, and he will destroy every enemy and everything. 
that has kept you in slavery. He will drown in a sea of your glory if you stand still and trust in him. Pray with me as the worship team comes forward. We open the altar for you. And Jesus.